0: Um, could I get somebody to volunteer to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to oversee our time open up the word to us in our hearts as well and then we'll go ahead and get started you ready okay Thanks. Father we just want to say thank you for Robert coming to share in this breakout time and I just pray thank you for just the great time we've had so far to get to know each other um, many of us don't know mm-hmm. didn't know a lot of, of these men when we came here and we reached out we've had a lot of great teaching from the word mm-hmm. From Matt and from uh, uh, Tom, we just uh, we just pray that your Spirit would work in this session here, that we could uh, glean some great information from Robert, who's speaking uh, speaking on the topic, and just uh, bless the rest of the time tonight and tomorrow for safe turning. pray in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 So, um, I have some handouts. I don't know if I have enough, but I'll go ahead and send those around. Um, Kind of give you some of the and maybe look over your, uh, friend's shoulder or something. I'm not sure I've enough. But anyway, right. what I was thinking was, is I am reflecting on the uh, basic concept, and I don't know who came up with fight to the death, but I love it. It's great. I mean, there's so many different levels at which that applies for life as Christians. Um, and I'm sure you've already covered, I was kind of querying Mike as we were coming up uh, this afternoon mm-hmm. on what he, what we've been, you guys have been teaching on. And, uh, I'm hoping what we talk about tonight fits in well with that. Um, it's maybe a little different, but uh, it does really have to do with that fight to the death. Um, and again, as a Christian, fight to the death nice scratch. is maybe two, two or three different layers of that, and I suppose you guys have already talked about that a little bit. What I'd like to do, though, is um, focus on, in our fight to the death, in our Christian walk, it's, uh, it's typical that we're going to run across situations that are not easy. Okay, and not just Can not you ever, easy. You, the last one. Yeah,
1: there's another
0: one. Is it perfect? Yeah. Get, okay. Okay. Can you get one more? Yeah, ready. Get one. Yeah, we're good. Okay, perfect. Are we good? Yep. Sorry, I kind of got started ahead of time. But <laughs> what I'm <laughs> what what I'm looking at here, and what has really meant a lot in my life is, as Christians, what do we do when uh, the rug gets ripped out from underneath us? Not just the rug, but we get to a point where we can hardly sustain ourselves and our family and the people around us. Well, what do you do? Okay. Um, some of us maybe have not gone through anything like that, to that level yet. You probably will. So, you know, there's some value there. Some of you have been through it. And we're not just talking um, about physically. You know, you maybe have... You've gone through cancer, or a friend of cancer, or a wife with cancer, or a son or a daughter that's been very ill. We're talking emotionally. We're talking about brokenness. We're talking about families that are dysfunctional. We're talking about maybe divorce. We're talking about betrayal. All those things as a Christian, you may run across because we live in a fallen world. So we cannot escape that. We have to anticipate it at some level. And, and we're not ill-equipped. We have the Word. Uh, it's just a matter of how God looks at that. So I'd like to kind of investigate that a little bit and go into it. Um, it may be a little bit back and forth. There'll be a lot of scriptural reading. But my hope is when you're done, even if you don't understand anything I said, um, at least you'll have some resources to go back and look at and study for yourself. Because ultimately, it doesn't take place in a venue like this. It's when you're usually... On your knees before the Lord with the Bible open, asking Him why. So, anyway, let's. Um, I'd like to start off with a, a story. Maybe some of you are familiar with. Um, does anybody here know Ernie and Annie Newton? Yeah. Yes, we do. Obviously, you would. Yeah, because these uh, Annie is the. For those of you who aren't so familiar with them, is the owner of Let Four Seasons.
1: No, her brother. Is. Her brother. Is, she, okay, she she she's been involved. Well, she
0: manages it yeah. and so forth. And they're, you know, they're they're Christians, and um, we've grown to know them somewhat, not real close. Um, but last year, and this was, was in the UB, so you may f- be familiar with the story. Um, Ernie and Annie, as, long, as well as his uh, brother-in-law Bill Bloom, were headed down towards uh, down the the River Columbia, and they had just passed John Day. It was 109 degrees out. Is this spring about? And they were hot. Okay. And so they decided to get out and play in the water a little bit. Well, Ernie and Bill both decided to go out a little bit further. And so they started swimming. Again, this is below the dam. Okay, And it looked fine. It was no big deal. And as they swim out a little bit further, a little bit further, they began to notice there was a strong current. And um, Bill's a very strong swimmer. Ernie is like a football hero back in his hometown. Well built, strong. He knows his stuff. In fact, his wife says he's the stronger swimmer that she knows of. Well, to make a long story short, they kept getting swept out further and further and further. And Bill was trying to pull Ernie back to get him back to shore. And remember, this is the causeway with all the water coming down. You get in that causeway, there's a good chance yeah. you're not coming back out. And so he's, finally, at one point, Ernie goes to Bill, go. And Bill says, that's the hardest thing I've ever done is let him go. Because he knew Ernie was just going further and further into that causeway and in, in the... Uh, of water. So um, as it was, if you recall, I, we're not sure whether this is what he ended up uh, standing on, but his foot touched something in the water, and he was able to stand on it, and it might have been like one of those old fishing platforms before the dam, um, the waters were... Uh, yeah, we don't know. But he felt something. It was just enough. Because uh, his wife was looking from offshore, and his head was going down and up and down and up because he was getting exhausted fighting the current. He was able to get his foot on that piece of wood and get his head out of the water. Just enough. And Bill went back. They got a uh, thermos-type deal. I guess one of those ice chests. They wrapped it up, and they put a rope on it. Remember this? And they got it out there, and they were able to actually save his life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fairly miraculous. So, So I tell that story because if you can imagine what's going through Ernie's mind, as he is approaching, it looks like calm water, it looks good. It's refreshing. And suddenly, this is life and death. Or maybe we bring that a little closer to home. How many of you have been out to Palouse Falls? How many have crawled down into the bottom? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't recommend it. My daughters love to do it because they see how scared I get. Um, there's a point where you come around the edge. There's three fingers or four fingers that stick up. Right at that point, it's all loose shale. Mm-hmm. It's about this wide. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And what's down below? Oh. Not anything for maybe two or three hundred feet, and then rocks. Um, People die there all the time. And that's the point I'm getting to. Uh, they also swim in those waters, and it scares me to death. And I always tell them, "You need to stay back because they can kill you." So imagine again. Uh, I guess this last year we had a fatality out there. I mean, it's sad. Somebody was swimming too close. Same kind of scenario. And can you imagine what's going through their head as they're trying to get out, and it's getting to be harder? And harder and harder. And at some point, you're losing ground, you're losing your energy, you're in a hole. Okay. So, those are metaphors, if you will, for spiritual events in our lives where we end up in a situation that is scary as all get out. And you don't know if you're going to make it out. That's part of the fight to death, I think. And I don't think it's outside the ordinary realm of the Christian as we walk with our Lord, so I'd like to go into that this morning, Thursday afternoon, um, and I'd like to start with Mark four thirty-five to forty-one. Someone wouldn't mind reading that. Mark 4, 3, 5, 41. Okay, John's got it, and this is very familiar. We're going through lots of familiar stuff, so nothing real new. There's maybe one passage, but this should be this should ring a bell. Thirty-five, right? Yeah. That four... ahead.
2: Okay. So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were others with the boats with him. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay.
0: So this passage, we're all, I think, pretty much familiar with it. And it's usually uh, a passage presented for Christ's deity. That is really at the core of what this is talking about. So you have this terrible storm going on, and Jesus comes out, rebukes the storm. And by the way, God is sleeping, right, in the stern. He comes out, rebukes the storm, and it goes away. And and it's the disciples' response to that that usually we look at. It's like fear. Who cares about the storm? Whose presence are we in? In other words, they are realizing that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. So God is sleeping in the stern, Right? There's another side to the story that if we look at it as an example, because we are, Jesus is our example. We want to follow him. We want to do what he does. We want to be like him, right? So it would seem that we would like to be able to sleep on the cushion during the storm, right? I hear a little bit of hesitation. That's okay. Okay. Because I want to look at that. Okay. Um, Jesus slept through that storm. but is that really our response as Christians walking the walk? I want to look at that a little bit, okay? Um, so let's go to Psalm 88. Um, as you open there, I want you just to be aware, I'm going to I'll go ahead and read that, but I want you to follow along with me. Uh I want you to be aware of some of the background of this psalm. There are uh you know, psalms are all over the board. Some of them are encouraging. Some of them are worship. I mean, it's the whole, it's the songbook book of the Jewish people, God's people. And so it's got a lot in there. But there are three that I'm aware of, dark psalms. And these are psalms that are somewhat devoid of any hope. It's not encouraging. They're not happy. They're not hopeful. Usually in the psalms, we'll go through this, this process where you go down in the deeps, and there's this despair, and then at the end, there's this, oh, but God, you will save me. Okay, I want you to read this, and I want you to notice the descent through this this song. Um, this has been interpreted as a prayer of Christ, okay, possibly in the garden, and for that uh, reason, some of our Christian traditions have used it as a liturgy for Black Friday. Okay, so it is it's it's a really dark dark song. Um, I want you to look at the first line. You'll see it starts high. Now, once you go to verses 3 to 5, as we read it, you'll start getting a feel for the depth of despair. Then you'll go to verses 6 through 9, where he talks about the author of that despair, the protagonist, the one that's causing that despair. And then you'll see a desperate argument in verses 10 to 12. And then finally, again, an allusion to the perpetrator of the events that are causing the despair in his life. And then verse 18 is one of the darkest verses I know of in the Bible. Okay? So let's read that, be reflecting on that as we go through, and then we're going to relate this back at some point to the first passage. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the dark, the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors, and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Wow. That's
2: depressing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That is depressing. And that's a real hit. You know, especially when we as Christians have so much joy in our lives and the Lord has brought that along. This is still a part of... Of the experience of those who follow the Lord. So what do we do with that? I really um, I think this is valuable and, and for a number of different reasons, because for example, we just have a friend who lost their son to a suicide. What do you tell those people? Okay? And they're Christian, she's a Christian. What do you do? Okay. God is not without purpose in everything He allows into our lives. And I think we're gonna see that in this here. So is God a God of love? Right? We got a problem here. <laughs> Who is a perpetrator in this in this chat in this uh, psalm? Who's the one causing the, the distress? At least the psalmist would claim so. The the Lord Lord God Lord himself. God himself. And you can see why this is related to maybe a messianic psalm of Christ in the garden when His Father is turning His face from Him. Okay, it is God Himself who is at least allowing these situations to occur. Um, it, this is not an isolated example. If we go to David, um, Psalm 38, Uh, would somebody read that?
3: O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I am like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior.
0: Okay, thanks. In this case, you have a situation where David is calling out the Lord. And this is not an isolated psalm. David does this a lot. And in this case, you'll also note that this is probably being brought on by his own sin. You see that? And so we can find ourselves shooting ourselves in the foot and worse throughout life. And it's not the end of the story, but we've got to deal with it somehow and it can lead you to a situation where everything is against you. Everything. Everything's falling apart. And the the horrible burden of that is that you caused it. Right? Through your sin, your, your rebellion, your disobedience. So whether it be from outside forces, whether you jump in a lake somewhere and suddenly you find out there's a there's a uh, sinkhole in it or something, or whether it's something you caused yourself, the, the problem is the same. You, you're overwhelmed. There is too much going on. Paul's another example. Let's read, uh, could I have somebody read Second uh, Corinthians 7, 5. Second Corinthians 7
1: 5. 5 to what? Where we... Just the verse. Oh, just the verse. Okay. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Okay.
0: Again, this is more on the physical side, but here's Paul talking about the, the difficulties that he ran into. Let's read another verse from Paul, similar, very much along the same veins. I'm just trying to build this case. This is not isolated, especially for those from God's surface. 1 Corinthians 11, 21, second part of 21 to 29.
2: 21 to 29? Yes.
0: Just the second part of 21. The second part. Read the whole verse. It doesn't matter. Okay.
2: To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. how Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely. Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, and dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, and in dangers from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concerns for all the churches who is weak, and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn.
0: Okay. So Paul had quite the life, right? And he repeatedly came up against this situation. You can imagine when he's being flogged. He's left for dead at one point, right? He's on shipwrecks. This is not an easy life, and you can imagine what was going through his head. Um... What's really interesting here is he is making a case. This is a little bit of a side note. He's making a case for what in this passage? What is he trying to prove to his readers? He he
1: was truly an apostle.
0: That he was an apostle. So instead of talking about the miracles, instead of talking about all the good things and the love he showed everybody, what does he point to? The suffering is the mark of the apostle that he points to. So we can't push this away as something that we are not going to expect to be involved with. This is not an occasion for becoming depressed, (laughs) but it is an occasion for understanding that we will go through those kinds of situations, and the closer you follow the Lord, probably the more frequently. If Paul's example is any example. I want to read one more verse uh, from Corinthians before we move on. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9. I'll read that. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to play with this a little bit. And you guys can hold me accountable. We will read the whole verse uh, later on. Uh, we do not want you to be... This is Paul again. And this is in 2 Corinthians. This is a prelude to what we just read. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Okay? So this is Paul. Stating, he thought like he was going to die as a result of the things that were going on. Okay, so we've got we've got David, we've got Paul as an example. We obviously have Jesus. Um, Matthew twenty seven four b. I can skip ahead a little bit here. Um, that's that verse where Jesus is on the cross. And what does he say? My God. Exactly. So you know Jesus was there. You know he had to go through this, especially, and we will never necessarily have that turning of the Father. We're not the Trinity. We're not God, but Jesus experienced that level of deep, deep despair and betrayal from not just Judas, from his Father, on our behalf. I want to look at Job because he is the supreme sufferer. Besides Jesus, I think he is. If he has, if you have a mark, you know, a badge of honor, Job's as I suffered. Right? It's right up there, or it's on his, or somewhere. Um, Job, and I'll just recount the story very quickly, had seven sons, <coughs> three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 uh, donkeys. Uh, the Bible says he was considered the greatest man of the East at the time. Big guy, okay? I'm not sure who he would point to uh, today as an example. Who's the guy that owns Tesla? and does Elon Musk, whatever. I don't know. He's probably not a good example. But... <laughs> greatest peoples of the East, this was Job. Um, And what happens? There's a series of events where Satan goes to God and says, hey, let me, he doesn't really love you for who you are. He loves you because of what you give him, okay? So he goes through, he takes sequentially all of his goods, all of his camels and his sheep and so forth, and in the very last part of the first temptation, or test, a wind blows through his eldest son's house and kills all seven sons and three daughters Dead. Okay, um, and of course, Job is broken, heart struck. Um, and, and, but that's not it. Then God, Satan says, well, if you strike his body, he will, he will renounce you. So, sure enough, God does. And, uh, he's sitting in the ashes with festers and sores and everything else. And on top of that, something that Satan didn't ask for, his wife adds to the, the, the issue, right? She sits there saying, just curse God and be done with it. Right, So he doesn't have just his own frustration. What's going on? What's going on? He has his wife saying, just curse him. Be done. It's over. Yippee. This is a tempest. This is not a squall. This is something that rips you apart inside. And leaves very little left intact. And, and we see Job going through that. So, let me ask you this. Um, when we go through situations like this, uh, whether it be a divorce or whether it be an emotional crisis, or whether it be physical, or whatever it is. Um, The question is, are we built? What what does that kind of a thing do to your independence? What does it do to your independence? If you're going through that, how do you feel? In the garden, right? When Satan came and he tempted Adam and Eve... There was a temptation to become like God. And in that situation, when that occurred, during that sin, you see separation of man and God. And man becomes somewhat autonomous from God. Able to act and think on his own. Or he does. He thinks he's on his own. He really is still dependent. But there's this autonomy. So, if in fact, um, we have suffering in our life, what does that do to our sense of Independence. I'm ask a number of questions on suffering and what it does. This is the first one. We give up on God. We don't rely to on to God anymore. We give up on God. What about ourselves? We're self-made men, right? What happens if you cannot pay the bills? I don't know about you, but for me, I begin to realize I am not a self-made man. I am not independent. And I need help sometimes it takes longer (laughs) to get there or sooner than other. But when I go through suffering, that's the natural tendency to realize, you know what? I just can't do it all myself. You can do anything you want to as long as you put your mind to it. Really? I've tried. It didn't work for me. Okay? So, so what does that do to our independence? Okay, another question. Um, How do we see ourselves when we suffer? What does it tell us? Do we find, when when the pressure is so hard on us, do we find ourselves doing things we never thought we would ever do in our right mind? Do we find ourselves turning on people that we love and we say, "I, I just don't care anymore? We shut down. Yeah, we shut down. Do we say like, I need help. Do we start cheating on our income taxes? Do we, I mean, there's a whole gamut of things that can occur. And when we're doing that, we get a window into our soul outside of the grace of Christ. And it's humbling. It really is. Suffering does that to you. Um, What about to those around us? Let's say that even in spite of all the stuff that's hitting you on the head, you look up and say, I love my Lord. I don't understand this. What is that to say to people who have never seen God, don't know who He is, and cannot figure you out? Do you think it maybe drapes a bit of who God is in front of them? That there's something more important than all the stuff that you might hear God can give you and realize there's something more important than that? It's a witness at times, right? It can be. Okay, so what does it do to yourself, the old man? The one that God's working on, you're a new creature in Christ. That old thing is hanging now. And he keeps trying to, he stinks, right? You begin to, and it's kind of related to the other question, start to see yourself, who you are. Okay? And this is suffering that generally does this. What about your pride? I lost my job. Ran to sell the house. My kids walked away from the faith. My kids in jail. Whatever it is. You know, I say "kid" a lot because that's my fears <laughs> with children. You love them, you don't want them to go there. So that's one of those fears. <clears throat> okay. So, what does it do to your pride? Um, what does it do to sin in our lives? Let's read First Peter. Let's read. Yeah, I think it's First Peter. I corrected on the number down. Four one. I hope if it's not first, it'll be second. I'm. Uh, I'm notorious for getting the wrong Mm -hmm. references. Somebody want to read that? Mm. Just verse one? Yep.
1: Therefore, since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same
0: mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, there you have it. You suffer? What are one of the things that comes out of that? The sin quotient in your life starts to go down. Right? It starts to go down. Um, so, and related to that is, what happens to your appreciation for this world and this life Right, I I think of the old days of slavery where we had um, so many of the folks out in the fields picking cotton. They were singing songs, but they weren't singing about trying to get the landowner's house. What were they singing about?
1: Heaven, sweet here. There are a
0: lot of brothers and sisters in our Christ out there, and they were singing for something much better than this world. Okay, one of my favorite songs because I can play it on the guitar is um, "I've Got a Mansion." which has some theological problems, but still, it's a great song when it comes to looking forward <laughs> enough, right? I mean, it sounds like prosperity gospel, but I can play the song. So anyway, so there's our appreciation to for this life when we go through suffering. You'll find it's like, I don't really care about that anymore. You know, I, I used to, I was a dirt bike fanatic when I was younger, and I bought a YZ125, you know? Great bike. I mean, it can keep the thing on the ground. You know, I mean, it's like... This, But, um, wouldn't you know it, it broke all the time. All the time. When I got done with that motorcycle, I didn't have to have a motorcycle anymore. And the same thing is true with suffering in our world today and our lives. So when God brings suffering in our lives, often we'll find ourselves going, and it can lead to depression if that's all you have, because there's nothing else. But if you have something else, it can lead to joy. Incredible, unbridled joy because you don't have to worry about all this world. You've got a father who cares for you, and you're going to go see him. So, so that that's one of the the benefits. Um, and then what? What about our love for Jesus Christ? We can go one of two ways: I hate you, God. Don't you love me? Or you're all I got. You're all I got, and I love you. And I don't know what you're doing. You know, though you slay me, <laughs> yeah, well, I love you, you know. And, and, and so, so think about this. I, in your job, if you have all these problems out there and you only have so many resources and you've got to get all this stuff done, and you can come up with one little answer that takes care of all of them, wouldn't you push that button? Wouldn't you? It's like, oh, I can just tweak this little thing. In. Oh, this will work better. These people get along better. We'll make more product. Well, Whatever. Just do this. God is confronted with a little red button in each of our lives, I think. And the question is, what should He do? Should He not touch that button? Should He not touch the things that would really help us understand who He really is and who we really are and shift our affections to Him? Or should he say, I'm not going to touch it. It's too painful. Mm -hmm. So, be be careful. God's not the author of evil. But he loves you to death. And he made you for himself. And bar nothing else, he's going to make that happen. Mm -hmm. It's cool, but it hurts. Okay? So, how am I on time? I get kind of carried away. Sure, yeah, about I don't yeah, oh, we're, we're good. Right the, on time. We're on time. The time now. Okay. So, yeah, we're in time zone, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's go through <clears throat> Philippians three, seven to eleven. Um, Can I get somebody to read that? I'm sorry. This is an error. This is a fault I have. I just we read tons of scripture, so and it's not always. Continuous, so oh, it's not bad. 11, 7, not seven through 11, you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Philippians 11. 3 7 to 11. But it's all over the place, is the
1: problem. so. <laughs> uh, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead.
0: Good, thank you. This verse here, um, you notice Paul wants, this isn't a, oh no, I'm going to have to suffer again. I want to suffer. I want to share in Christ's sufferings. I want to. There's got to be a motivation behind that. He wants to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, we've got to be careful. Um, sometimes uh, we have ascetic, ascetic, ascetic traditions in our uh, in Christianity where suffering is seen as the avenue towards purification of the soul. And so, um, and I may not be pronouncing this right, there were stylites, I think they called them. There were these guys, especially in medieval Europe, that in order to purify their soul would sit on, live, not sit, live on pillars. You know, like, I don't know, 20, 30-foot pillars. And they lived up there. Rain, shine, I mean, good weather, bad weather, sleep, everything. Um, and we're not talking just about a few weeks or a few months. I was reading about a, um, I can't remember his name, a magician who, lived, who was up there for 35 hours on a pole in New York or whatever, and he started seeing hallucinations. These guys lived... 33 years plus 14 years on his side because he couldn't stand up anymore because his leg failed him. So over 50 years on a pole. Never came down. And they thought this was really cleaning their... This is not the suffering we're talking about. Okay? There were other Christians in that were so, so consumed with wanting to be a martyr, they would go around and almost arrange for their own martyrdom at the swords of the Roman legions that's not what we're talking about Paul is talking about sharing in the sufferings that God orchestrates in his life for his good and the people around him that reflect who Christ is okay so don't feel like you gotta go do something to hurt yourself and there'll be plenty coming along Okay. Um, so, so in verse 10 though, I think we see, and I may be taking this a little bit out of context, this is maybe just a more me than scripture, but if you look at verse 10, and I don't have it right in front of me, there is a, the first reason that Paul gives for wanting to suffer with Christ. It's to know Him. To know. And if you understand what it means to know somebody, this is the very basis, not only of our marriages, and he knew her and she knew him. Scripture uses those terms. In terms of that intimate knowing, it Is Paul wants to know his Lord. He loves him. And if it takes suffering, bring it on. Bring it on. I love him. I love him, I love him. Isn't that cool? No, it's not so cool, guys. I just want to warn you. It hurts it does and, and again um, well let's keep moving so uh, if we go to I want to go back to Job because he is again our ultimate sufferer Job 1 13 to 22 let's go there and I had to actually put a I, I can never find Job I don't know why so if we go to 13 let's see what do I have verse 1 13 to 22 somebody's welcome to read that if, do you have it You know what, let's skip that, because that's just a recount of um, the tragedies that they felt. You know, the death of his kids, the loss of his flocks, and so forth. I just got there.
2: Okay, go ahead and read it. It says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Schledians <laughs> That works. Whatever. Formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this time, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, so
0: here we have, thank you, it's a long, long read. Here's, here's what happened to Job. And you can imagine, if you were in the same circumstances, what would you do before God? Probably why me? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What in the world are you doing? So, so Job is no different than we are uh, in that regard. And so in chapter 7, I'll read some of the verses here. It says, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will know, you will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he goes down to the grave and does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint. Even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life and I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? That's Job's complaint and question. What in the world are you doing? In, in, in a sense, get get away, remove yourself. This is this is too hard. Um, so so we have we have Job, and this isn't the only place in Job where Job is demanding an answer from God Almighty for what's happening in his life. What is going on? Okay, um, but go to Job thirty eight one to seven. 38, 1 to 7. Um, go ahead and read that, somebody. 38, you got it? I got it. John's my uh, resident <laughs> reader, so you've got to beat John if you're going to get it. here. Go ahead.
2: Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is in this darkness that my counsel with words without knowledge, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the eagles shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set the doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come, and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt.
0: Okay, that's just a taste <laughs> yeah. of the litany of statements that God Almighty makes to Job. You see what's happening here? Mm-hmm. Job asks this question. What is going... On? I'm paraphrasing. God. What's and what does Job? What is what is What does God do? He doesn't answer his question. He doesn't. He doesn't say. It's because Satan came to me and I want to test you. You never see that at all in Job at all. But what you do see, um, Job 42, 1-6, this is at the very end of the um, book where Job is speaking to God for the last time. And so he says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What God did, he did not answer his question, but he showed him himself to Job. He showed who he was as the answer to Job's inquiry. Mm. I think that's phenomenally important for us to remember. The answer to the question is not the answer. The answer is our Lord. And being able to see him like Paul, to know him, there's something way, way, way far beyond anything else in our lives. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, um, what then might be God's ulterior motive? This is kind of a rhetorical question at this point. For allowing suffering in our lives.
1: Truth from ourselves, one thing.
0: Yeah. Why might he do that?
1: Then we're free to see him.
0: Absolutely.
1: Before Job suffered, he said, uh, or after he suffered, he said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. Mm-hmm. And when he knew God and trusted God, I don't think he feared. The That's
0: end. right. Fear goes away, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a question. Think about it. I mean, there's lots of answers to that. We're talking multifaceted. We're talking God is delving into the depths of, our very being when he does this or allows it to happen. Um, let's, uh, Luke 6, 20 to 23. We'll go back to the New Testament here for a second. And we're almost done here, right? A little offended sometimes, so. Luke 6, uh, 20 to 23. Um, you're going to recognize this as the Beatitudes. But let's, let's let's read it again. Blessed are those. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of the Son of Man. Okay. All of these blessings, and there's the other part. You know, woe to you, woe to you. In the second part, I want you to focus on all those elements where it says you're blessed. You're blessed. It sounds like Paul saying, bring it on. I I want that. This is what I can get. You're blessed. Um, Why? 2 Corinthians 8 to 11. We read this one earlier. I want to finish off the verse that I skipped over just because it's not good to read half a verse. 2 Corinthians what? Chapter 1. Chapter 1, 8 to 11. Doug, you want to get that for us? Where do you have it? 2 Corinthians 11. 1, 8... Um, 8 to 11. We read this earlier, and we're just going to finish the verse right mm-hmm. skip. Sorry. Dyslexia.
3: That's
0: right.
3: Okay. okay then. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired.
0: So why would God do this? In this case, it's very clear. It's it's explicit. Why? We rely on God. So we rely on God. This is really important. We we as Christians are not self-contained little automats that do our own thing and, and we're very religious and do our stuff. We have got to be absolutely dependent upon God himself. You cannot live the Christian walk without him. It is impossible. And if you are... And I'm speaking to myself, you're faking it. (laughs) You are. Because it is a spiritual burden by God Almighty. And what a kick. This takes a lot of the pressure off, doesn't it? You still suffer. But he is moving in your heart. And he's God Almighty. we know, do not rely upon ourselves. So, I just wanted to emphasize that. But there's another thing I think that... um, if you go back to Psalm eighty-eight, you don't. You can turn there if you want. But the very first verse that starts off that very, very, very dark psalm, what does it say? God who saves me. The God who saves me. The premise to the whole darkness of that passage is still within the context of the God who saves me. It's not over, even if it seems like it's over. Even if you take your your life is taken early. It's not over. It's not. What a joy and hope we have. But I think there's something even more phenomenal here going on. And this is the one that makes my heart kind of go crazy. Um, Psalm 35, 73, 25. And we're just about done here. Psalm 73, 25. And I don't like the way the NIV has translated so I may butcher it a little bit. Um, and if you get there, go ahead and read it. 73.25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there
1: is nothing on earth that I desire besides you.
0: Yeah. And I, the verse, the, the translation, I can't remember which one it was, that I just, hits me right between the eyes or the heart. Is that um, having nothing on, not having anything on you in heaven? I desire nothing on earth. In other words, everything is Him. That's who I desire, and I think that's the motivation that we see in Paul, where he says it's okay to suffer if this brings me close to you in the fellowship of your sufferings. I get to be close to you. This is a love relationship beyond anything we've ever imagined, and we've been invited into it, and there's a way there. It's the same way Christ took when he went to the cross. And we have that same injunction to tape our, take up our cross and follow him. Right? Yeah. So, uh, that's pretty much pretty much what I had to share. Um, but if we go back to the picture of Jesus in the boat. um, sleeping on the cushion I still think that's actually a good picture for us as Christians and the model but I think sometimes it takes in a, a storm to weather a storm that God sometimes takes us through those really, really dark times because it draws us close to him so we know him so that when that storm hits we know who we have believed on and we have a father that cares for us and he is not going to bug out He's there, so so I have some questions that I thought maybe we should. Are we? <laughs> so you're gonna to have to answer all the questions very quickly. <laughs> so um, let we'll me just ask the first one. In our fight to the death, then how should we, right, fight to the death? Respond to a tempest like this? How should what should we do if something like this occurs in your life?
1: What is your response as a Christian? Put her head on the softest bill of submission to Christ.
0: Yeah. What are, some, what are some responses to that that might not be appropriate? I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. Redouble your effort. Oh, What's that? Why is this happening to me? I've heard, I hate you, God. Rejection. Yeah. yeah. Rejection. God. Yeah. I these are better than this? Yeah. <clears throat> so on the counter side, there's that submission, that <clears throat> understanding that God is working on our behalf. And take, I don't want you guys. Do, I grow when things are tough and hard, and I can't figure it out, and I'm at the end of myself. So that is part of the fight to the death, I think. And it's not a downer. It, it is terribly, terribly hard. It is heart wrenching. It rips you apart. But if you remember the picture of the alabaster box that Mary breaks on Jesus' head, right? She comes in and she breaks this. It's probably worth, I think it was like $50,000 or per, it's like a year's wages or something. She breaks on his head and all the disciples, why did you do that? You waste all this money. And he says, no. She has anointed me for my burial. And that's a beautiful picture. Often what God has to do in our hearts and our lives to release his Holy Spirit from us. It is no longer I that live, right? Mm-hmm. But Christ who lives in me. How nice, how good to be rid of that old stuff and allow God to work in that new creature that he's created in you. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your time. Sorry we didn't have much time for discussion. Um, any other thoughts?
2: Great, Robert. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Robert. It's my favorite so far.
0: Seriously. Yeah. Well, this breaks your heart, and this this hits home. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of you guys have been through that kind of stuff. I know you have, you know, and uh, you just begin to realize just how, I hate to say it, it's like looking up at the stars, how important we really are, mm-hmm. and how incredibly blessed we are. I don't get it, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure thankful. Why don't we pray? Matt, would you close?
1: Sure. <clears throat> Lord, to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. Lord, this is, this is the hour of weeping and mourning, Lord, of fighting and and of running and all those things, Lord. Just like you did, to be with you, Lord, to hunger and thirst for you. And uh, Lord, I can't even understand the your ways they are so far beyond ours God and the things that you work out are not the way that we work things out Lord. that you would pour out your wrath upon your son that you would cause him to suffer in the way he did for us Lord it just does not make sense to us and so Lord as your son's God have your way have your sovereign will worked out in our hearts and our lives and maybe like Job Lord just bless your name That we, through that suffering, might get to know you more. To see you more clearly. To be closer to you in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we'd be crucified with you. Mm -hmm. We love you, Lord. Mm -hmm. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.